Hello everybody, I'm PJ. I hope you're doing okay. I'm afraid I need to start with a confession today. You see, our theme from the Beatitudes today is happy are the peacemakers. But truth be told, I have good days and bad days on this. However, as it's a bit embarrassing, perhaps we could just keep this between you, me and the internet. So like all of us, there haven't been a lot of treats recently, not a lot of things to look forward to. Last week's high water mark was a trip to the bottle bank. Bin day is now a talking point in our household. So you can imagine that our plan to buy dinner for the teenagers at a drive through was a big deal for all of us. Except that when we arrived at the restaurant, we realised that everyone else had had the same idea and we were forced to join the back of the queue, somewhere in Buckinghamshire. For what seemed like hours, we crawled our way along and to say that my boys were hungry would be an understatement. I was genuinely frightened that if they weren't fed soon, they might actually eat each other, or possibly me. Uh, we were about 10 cars from the entrance to, to the restaurant at a junction when someone cut in front of us, sneaking in towards the head of the queue. That's when I lost it. It was like a switch flipped. Who do they think they are? What makes them so special? I was livid at the injustice of it, convinced that this was some major infringement on my human rights. I drove right up close to their bumper in a kind of passive-aggressive British way. It was only Emma's plea of, please don't get out of the car, that stopped me taking it further. To be honest, passive-aggressive was about to become aggressive-aggressive. And then from the back seat, the boys suggested that maybe the driver joined at the junction and hadn't realised it was a queue. Or perhaps they're an NHS worker trying to get food after a long shift, Dad. Now, any parent knows that when your teenagers are telling you you're overreacting, it's time to take a good look in the mirror. In the end, I calmed down. The burgers were fine, but not good enough to take away the unpleasant taste I'd left in everyone's mouths. What was going on there? Well, of course, this wasn't really about waiting two minutes longer for my food. This was about everything else. The months of restrictions, concern for others running on empty, the uncertainty and the tension all came spilling out in the drive-through queue. It's just one little example, but it illustrates what's going on for so many of us at the moment. A year of lockdown and contending with this virus has meant lots of implications for us, and these can spill over into different areas. And what I'm hoping to do today is very practically help us with our understanding of what's been happening. Because if we're to bring peace to others, or even to have peace ourselves, we need to understand what's going on beneath the surface. As David says in Psalm 51, to have truth in the inmost parts. Because whilst there is light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine rolling out and the restrictions lifting, we've all still been affected to a greater or lesser degree by the events of this past year. So we need to understand some of the implications if we're to become peacemakers. And even if you're not experiencing any of these symptoms I'm about to mention, the chances are someone around you is. And if you can understand, then you can bring compassion and empathy and be a peace bringer in your situation. So let me take you through four symptoms of what I think is going on at the moment and see if you recognise any of these in yourself. Uh, number one, the first is a massively reduced capacity. Probably the only thing we've all got in common at the moment is that everyone is exhausted. We struggle to have energy for hardly anything. Why is that? Well, most probably it's not physical. The furthest I walk these days is to the fridge and back. 
No, I suggest to you that our reduced capacity comes from the psychological and emotional strain that we've been under the past year. If you think about it, we've lived the past 12 months facing an invisible threat. And the fact that it's invisible is actually very significant. Because some people have responded by thinking, well, if I can't see it, then it doesn't feel real, so I'm not going to worry about it. Whilst for others, probably the majority, the fact that it's invisible makes it all the scarier. This means that our natural self-protection mechanisms have been on high alert far more than usual. Going to the supermarket can trigger stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline as someone invades your personal space, reaches across you to grab a tin of baked beans from the shelf in front of you, or you walk down the street and somebody coughs as they pass you. We've all been living with that tension and that's what's exhausting us. Then on top of us, top of that, some of us know the additional strain of stretch finances, homeschooling, working in the hospital, or tragically, tragically in some cases, the trauma of losing someone to COVID. This then reduced capacity means that for some people, they've just gone into autopilot to get through and they've just gone a bit numb or they might experience an inability to concentrate. Perhaps you can't even watch your favorite box set on TV at the moment. For some of us, our short-term memory is affected. For others, we had disturbed sleep and lots of us feel demotivated. It's not that you've suddenly become lazy, it's that your energy is being used up elsewhere. And for others of us, our short-term memory is affected. No, wait, did I mention that already? Anyway, that's the first thing. We've all got this reduced capacity. Number two, the second thing that's going on is the impact of isolation for so many. For some, this will be minor disappointments that we couldn't see friends or family. But for others, we feel this isolation almost like a physical pain. If, you've been, if you live alone or haven't been able to hold your grandkids in months, you may know what that's like. It's like a deep physical ache that we feel. But it's not just the loneliness even. There can also be this sense of disconnection. So we may feel disconnected from our friends or colleagues, or we feel detached from work or church. We feel jaded and maybe a bit cynical about things. And that's often because we've kind of withdrawn into ourselves as a way of coping. It's like for so many of us, we've been emotionally hibernating for the past year. So that's the second thing, loneliness and disconnection. But that then leads on to the third thing. We need to realize that trust has depleted in the world around us. Taken as a whole, the world is probably less trusting now than it was a year ago. We've had false hopes that things will get better sooner. We've had false information and conspiracy theories. We've had Brexit, racial tensions, and a fractious US election. The climate all around us is one of mistrust. And when you combine mistrust with isolation, it's often an unhealthy mix. Often, many of our relationships are running on the relational capital they built up a year ago. Now everything's at least one step removed through a screen. So there's potential for us to overanalyze or misread situations. Small things in this climate can quickly become big things. We start to get more easily suspicious. What do they mean by that email? What's behind that? How come they never message me? I'm always having to message them first. And we can read into the silence. Perhaps if we haven't 
heard from a friend, for a while we can start to think that they've cut us off or maybe they don't care anymore. And before you know it, you've built up a narrative, a story about your relationship with someone, maybe even built a case against someone. Bear in mind, that might be because it's much easier to become angry at a person than an invisible virus. So we need to watch that we don't transfer our emotions about a situation onto a person, be that a relative, a friend, or the guy who jumps the queue at McDonald's, because that would be really immature. Anyway, moving on. Maybe you want to, in the time coming up, to reflect, is there anyone that you're judging or you've taken offense to? But then the fourth and final symptom for this morning is this. I want to pick up on this, the loss of purpose. These last 12 months have been the most disruptive since World War II. Many of the things that we've taken for granted, that we plan for, like holidays or travel, have suddenly been interrupted. All of our plans, the things that we like to do, have been replaced by uncertainty. We've come to a grinding halt and then we start to become uncertain about not just the next few months, but the course of our lives. Lots of people are now starting to ask questions like, uh, what am I going to do in life? Um, where am I actually going? Do I want to switch career? What do I really believe? Questions about faith and church are starting to come up for us. What should church look like? Of course, those are all perfectly legitimate questions. There's nothing wrong with asking big questions. They may be very helpful. But what's important is that we don't just resolve the questions but we also resolve the emotions that are going on behind them. So for example, if I'm asking, should I switch career? I may also need not just to resolve that question, but resolve any disappointment I feel about not having been successful in my current career. It's important that we don't just make the choices, the big choices in life, but also we bring to God any unresolved feelings as well, whether that's anxiety or frustration or insecurity. So that's the fourth thing, loss of purpose. So there you go, four symptoms from amongst many that might be a reaction to what's going on around us that you might be experiencing or someone else. Number one, emotional fatigue. Number two, disconnection and isolation. Number three, increased suspicion or a reduction in trust. And number four, a loss of purpose. If you've got all four, then text the word bingo to the pastoral team and an emergency squad will be dispatched immediately. So what I'm gonna do now is give you just a couple of minutes to reflect on these. We'll put a timer on the screen and then we'll come back and very briefly together look at some things which may help, including a couple of excellent verses from scripture. So take a couple of minutes to digest those.
Okay, now that we've had a chance to consider these symptoms, let's come in for a landing by looking at a few possible solutions. Uh, number one, acknowledgement. As with so many of these things, uh, identifying and acknowledging where you're at is 90% of the battle. Recognizing that you feel frustrated or disillusioned or exhausted or lonely or whatever is the first step to transformation. But this can actually be the hardest step, often because we think we should be further on than we actually are. I like to think that I'm quite mature, resilient and capable, when the truth is, as we've already established, I'm only one cue jumper away from a meltdown. The harder we cling to the image that we're sorted, then the longer it'll be before we know God's grace and patience. As D.L. Moody says, Jesus never sent anyone away empty except those who were full of themselves. Being honest about our needs with ourselves and with others shifts our spiritual posture. It allows the Holy Spirit to work in us. So who are you going to confide in about how you're really doing, about how you really feel? Authenticity is probably the most important tool at our disposal. 1 Peter 5 says, cast our cares on him because he cares for us. This is a good time to be doing that. So it's a time to lean into God and know his patience towards us. That's the first thing. Acknowledge that we're leaning into God and we need his patience and kindness, being honest with ourselves about what's going on. But secondly, as we know his patience, it's a time to extend that patience to others. Just two verses to have a reminder on your phone this week. Paul talks about the way that we're to treat each other and you'll find it in Ephesians 4 verses 2 and 3. Let me read it for us. It says this, Be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Put another way, Paul's saying, cut people some slack. One aspect of lockdown is that it gives us much more time, apart from one another, to reflect on things. And that could be both good and bad. Over the past few weeks, I started to remember what someone in church had said to me several times on the subject of money. He said to me, of course, PJ, my pension scheme is worth more than your salary. Um, I remember when he said it, I started thought, oh, that's great for you. Thanks very much for sharing that with me. Now, it wasn't meant maliciously, it was just a, a clumsy phrase that he used. But the thing is, it's come back to me during lockdown, where I've got time and space to really dwell on that. If I wanted to, I could take that sentence and let it marinate in my soul for a good two or three months. And what went in as a careless little comment could come out of lockdown as a lovely, fully developed root of bitterness, if I let it. Paul says, be completely humble and ungentle. Bear with one another. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that phrase that guy said about earning more than me, and I'm going to cut him some slack. I'm going to bear with him. I'm going to process it with God. Tell God that I found it a bit hurtful, and then I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to allow that to become a root of bitterness in my heart. I don't want that thing in my life. I'm not going to take that comment and dwell on it. Instead, I'm going to scrunch it up and then flick it away. Uh, Emma has a post-it note on her computer which says, choose what you focus on. Well, I'm certainly not going to focus on that. Don't allow a small oversight or a clumsy phrase to lodge in your heart. 
Becoming someone who brings peace means having things resolved in your own heart first. Process disappointment so that it doesn't become cynicism. Um, address anger so that it doesn't become resentment. And work through pain so that it doesn't become offence. Most people are just doing the best they can right now. So Paul says, bear with them. We have an enemy who would love to get under our skin if he can. At the end of the day, here's my way of thinking. If someone was basically a good-hearted person before lockdown, then the chances are they're still a good-hearted person. But they may be a person under unusual pressure. So cut people some slack. That's the second thing. Then thirdly, change where we live. The final tip for today is something to chew on for all you thinkers out there. And we'll finish with this. Um, when I say change where you live, I mean, in effect, live in a different time zone. Live in a different time zone. Now, hold on a minute before you run off and start packing boxes, shouting, at last, I've always wanted to live in the south of France. They're an hour ahead. That'll do. No, no, let me explain what I mean. Number one, I'm not talking about physically moving. And number two, you'll probably get arrested if you try and travel anywhere else at the moment. No, when I say change where you live, I don't mean the physical place. I mean change where your hopes reside, where your aspirations are. Let me try and explain. One of the reasons we found this past year so hard is that for most of us, our hopes are for the middle distance for a few months or years ahead. Normally the next couple of months or next couple of years, roughly speaking. So we're used to looking forward to, say for instance, our next holiday or a family gathering or a gig that we've got coming up or going to a festival or we may have our sights set on a house sale or a job move or retirement and this pandemic has messed with all of those plans the things we were looking forward to have suddenly been taken away from us and we feel frustrated and depressed about that it's hit us hard because that's where our hearts reside if you know what i mean that's the time zone where we most often live and even now after a year of uncertainty, we don't really know whether we'll be able to get away over the summer or what will happen next. And when I look at the Bible, we're not really encouraged to live in that sort of middle distance time zone. In fact, James even cautions us in James 5 about it, warning saying, don't say I'm going to move to that town and do business there for the next year. He says, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. He says, we're like a mist that's there in the morning and then disappears. Living in that middle distance time zone is precarious and it's prone to disappointment. Instead, the Bible encourages us to locate our longings elsewhere, to have our hopes positioned where we won't experience frustration and disappointment. We're meant instead to place them, well, firstly, in the here and now. Um, Psalm 118 um, says this, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, it's a big topic, but we need to discover the immediacy of his presence. If we are to be peace bringers in a fractious world, we need to know how to access his presence in the moment. What happens tomorrow, we don't know. But this day God has given you to rejoice and be glad in it. If our longings are always for the next thing, then we can miss out on appreciating what's here and now. I'm sure we'll return to it another time. But I think so much of our restlessness is because we've not learned to savour what God has given us now, 
to pause on a walk and enjoy the warmth of the sun on your face, um, to delight in a really good song, to chew good food slowly. These are all God's mercies to us. If you think about it, little children know how to live in the moment and extract the most enjoyment out of the smallest thing. If you don't believe me, just try giving a two-year-old a large cardboard box. They'll love it. Jesus said we must become like children for a reason, in order to delight in what he's given us now. And then, of course, finally, we're called to locate our longings in the eternal time zone. This is where Isaiah promises in Isaiah 25, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all their faces. In that day, they will surely say, this is our God. We trusted him and he saved us. Beautiful verses. If all your hopes are riding on the next few months or years, you might end up being frustrated or even heartbroken. But if the real desire of your heart is in the eternal time zone, then you'll never be disappointed. That's where scripture encourages us to locate our longings. If like me, this pandemic has shown that your understanding of heaven is a bit thin, well then I posted a recommendation of a book in the text. We're called to savour the goodness of God in the here and now as kind of a little foretaste of what's to come. So that's just a few examples of where we need to find peace and some suggestions of how we can respond in these challenging days. I hope you found that helpful this morning. Bless you all.